Welcome to the NZ Tech Podcast. It's the Christmas special. And episode 46. Yes, it's all about Christmas tonight and the good old gadgets that Santa's going to bring us. Yep, we've got a whole lot lined up for you, so uh, sit tight, listen in, and uh, yeah, let's jump into it, guys. Well, this evening, uh, there's myself, Paul Spain, in the studio. We have our special guest with us. Simon Gamble from Mako Networks. Welcome aboard. you got Bradley Burrows and you got Skip Parker managing the sound desk for us, and we'll hopefully chuck a mic to him at some point. All right, so uh, we've got a whole lot to get through tonight. This is really our, our big bumper Christmas episode. We're going to talk about the best gadgets and tech, but first of all, uh, we're going we're gonna to dive in and have a bit of a chat with Simon. Simon, you're the, um, you're the CEO of... No, I'm one of the co-founders. The co-founder. We've got another CEO. Okay, yep. of, uh, of Mako Networks. That's right. Yep, and can you tell us just in, in brief what it is that Mako does, and then we'll dive into our discussion around security and, and other things that are sort of relevant for this time of year. Sure. Uh, Mako effectively makes a system uh, designed for small to medium-sized businesses to connect them from the internet, uh, protect them from the dangers of the internet, both internal and external, and deliver services like content filtering, quality of service, and VPNs to those businesses. Uh, it's a centrally managed system, managed from the cloud, and it consists of... Um, Two main parts, one being a range of appliances at a customer's premise and the other being a hosted management platform. Recently, as recently as the last two years, um, we've become the first network management company in the world to get a payment card industry data security standard certification. And so our la- the largest growing part of our business is protecting card present merchants uh, from credit card fraud. Awesome. We enjoy chatting with New Zealand companies that are doing innovative things and particularly doing that on the global stage. And, and I think that's one of the things that's really impressed us about Mako is, you know, just how innovative uh, you guys are. You're, you're off to the US to do the NRA, which is, is it, you know, yeah, NRA, but that's NRA. The, it's the, other the, white, NRA. the other NRA, which is what, the National Restaurants Association? Yeah, that's right. Thrilling sounding trade show. <laughs> um, but there's lots of free food and drink there as well as uh, as people that need protection from credit card fraud. And, and is that one of the, I mean, we were talking about this off air, and I mean, I, I love this topic, so we could talk for A, so Paul's going have to control me today <laughs> but the, the the payment side of things and this whole skimming thing that we hear about do you want to sort of explain what skimming is to our listeners out there and go through what it means to new zealand customers and stuff sure well there's a there's a huge worldwide rise in uh, credit card fraud and in particular skimming and what skimming is 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 a way for the bad guys to get your credit card information without you knowing about it and then they monetize it most commonly what they do is they'll physically hack payments terminal like an FPOS machine or a car park payment kiosk or anything that you have to put your card into um, for it to read its data. And as well, uh, what they'll do is they'll capture that card data. The main things they're after are your primary account number, which is the main number written on the front of your card, and, and that's basically what the, either the chip or the mag stripe does is transfer that information into the bank systems. Uh, and then hopefully they'll also try and capture your PIN number. Uh, once they've got those pieces of information... Hopefully for them, not for you. <laughs> well, they don't even need your PIN number, really, to monetize it. It's, it's, really? Uh, yeah. In America, for example, they don't use PIN numbers anyway. It's all signature. Right. Um, um, so, um, but with PIN numbers allows them to get cash out. No PIN numbers allows them to buy goods online. Right. So they'll 
first of all, they'll need to skim the data off the card, and they can do that by manipulating any device that the card skims through. Uh, it could be a door opener at the bank to let you into the ATM lobby. could be the uh, ATM machines. It could be an FPOS machine. And some of these are quite creative. I mean, they're like exact replica, uh, replicas of ATMs and all that sort of yeah, stuff, isn't exactly. it? Yeah, exactly. So they'll even put overlays over an ATM so it looks exactly the same, but, but uh, there's a... There's an, there's an overlay over the um, the green sleeve that looks like a green sleeve, but it's as the card slides into an ATM, it actually re- it reads the um, data off the card before the bank does. Um, but the bank still reads it, so you still get your money out and everything works as normal. It's just someone's intercepted the data. And then they'll have a keyboard overlay over the, uh, over the ATM, and, and it's still pushing keys underneath, so the bank gets it, but someone's grabbed both those pieces of information. Um, in a store, they'll... Uh, break in quite often and then they'll uh, steal or swap out uh, the FPOS machines for ones that look exactly the same and still work the same but again they're intercepting the pins and the uh, and the primary account numbers and what they'll do is typically that data that they're intercepting will be sent to a, uh, a laptop sitting in a roof cavity or in a bin outside and they'll stream it to that via bluetooth or wi-fi and after weeks or months when they've grabbed enough information they'll then go and usually sell it online to a third party um, and it can be as the, the selling process can be broken down to as granular as uh, they might advertise uh, US-based Visa cards that have a balance of $20,000 or more, uh, and someone can specify that that's what they want. Uh, another party of bad guys will buy those numbers, and they'll then um, usually make blanks, so blank cards, and then they then might go and hit ATM machines in, a, in another city in another part of the world within a 20-minute window and withdraw cash. And the reason they do it all within a 20-minute period is uh, the bank's fraud systems find it very difficult to detect an anomaly in that shorter period of time. Um, there's a number of other ways that the data is monetized, but um, uh, if you've got someone's primary account number and or their PIN number, you've effectively got their cash. Is it physical? You mentioned they, they um, make new cards. Is online a big thing with these credit cards? Or is it made, do they reproduce it for more for online or for physical media, like the physical cards themselves? It's both. It, re- it just depends what the bad guys want to do. Um, so there's two steps to monetizing it. The first person to monetize it actually sells the card data, and it'll be sold for an, and it's it's a commodity. So the cards, depending on how many there are out there in cyberspace, the, the cards could be going for as little as seven dollars a piece to as high as fifty bucks a piece. And then the next guys would buy those numbers, they'll turn it into more. It's, it's just, it's like the rest of the world. It's capitalism. Uh, Not listed on the stock exchange, though, is it? No, no, no. stock exchange listing. And and for the listeners that are thinking, if this is a lesson in how to do it, that's not our intent. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, and so you mentioned the US, right? So everyone, we always read about that this is, a, you know, in the US they've had this uh, KFC, I'm making this up here, KFC or blah, 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 I've had this happen. KFC didn't have that happen. But is this happening in New Zealand? Yeah, it's happening everywhere. Um, the US has laws of disclosure that forces merchants to um, go public with stories of card breaches. Uh, most of the rest of the world doesn't. So the majority of the stories that we read about all this stuff happening comes from the States because they have to talk about it. In New Zealand, it happens too, and with alarming regularity, but you don't have to talk about it. And if you're a merchant who's had a card breach and you don't have to talk about it, why would you? Yeah, I guess it's it's not um, yeah not a, not a good thing for your brand, is it? No, it's really bad. <laughs> and it's bad for the banks, and it's bad for the credit card companies. It's just bad all around. And... I guess there's a few sort of different, you know, scenarios as well uh, in terms of 
you know, A, how people get the information, then B, you know, how they then use that to, uh, you know, to generate a return. Mm-hmm. What about in a, in a completely offline scenario? We've, we've talked on this show. In fact, we've had recordings of some of the um, uh, the callers that call in from India and various parts of the, the world and say, hey, you've got a virus on your computer or, hey, I'm from Microsoft. And I, I came across a, a, a case uh, last week, uh, actually, uh, of an older gentleman that got uh, duped by one of these these scenarios which you know I was pretty surprised that they would they would do that but I guess the fact that they make the calls mm. there's a percentage of people that they they trick and he thought he had got a great deal on you know buying this antivirus software and he'd given all his credit card details over the phone yeah in a scenario like that do you know what what would be a, a typical outcome of how they use that would well it's a, exactly the same as I just described it's yep. just another way of skimming the cardholder data so, so once they've got once they've got that then once you've got the data you, they're you've got it, it using so whatever technique exactly so you can skim it with a, by intercepting the card going into or out of a machine. You can skim it by getting someone to give you the numbers over the phone. You can uh, skim it by putting up a fake website, uh, advertising some really top value goods yeah. that people put their card data into the into the system, and then they've got it. So um, people should really treat their uh, credit card data as cash because it's just as useful. You use it just as you would cash, and it's. Um, it's really convenient for you and for criminals who've got the number. The flip side is, though, in New Zealand, the banks have been, I would say, fairly generous with people who have got themselves into trouble. You know, this case, you know, that I heard of last week, I'm I'm imagining that the bank will have actually probably picked up the the tab if these guys have gone off and, and pulled five thousand uh, or ten thousand dollars off this chap's credit card. Um, the banks in most cases tend to pick it up here. Now I've heard of different situations like in the US where there's been um, internet banking type fraud and um, uh, you know situations where the bank doesn't pick up the tab and says no you lost 250000 or whatever it was out of your bank account uh, because you didn't have secure enough passwords, that's your problem. Yeah. Well, how does that look in, in New Zealand and, and, and other parts around the world? Are we are we a bit lucky here at the moment, or it's pretty much the same the world over because the card schemes, you know, the main card schemes, Visa, Mastercard, Amex, Diners, they're the same everywhere. So um, unless a consumer has been grossly irresponsible or negligent, they're going to get their money back. Um, the story is a little different with debit cards. With credit cards, you're using the bank's money, so you know you can refuse to pay. You, it's not actually your money they've stolen at that point. It's the it's the bank's. With a debit card, it's your money that's been nicked straight away. And, right. Um, so that's a different story. If you lose it off a debit card, it's probably gone. Uh, it's harder to get back. Yeah. Whereas with the with the credit card, it's not your money that's been stolen in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, however. The banks are, are pretty lenient with giving people's money back because there needs to be a, a there needs to be good faith in the credit and debit card system, or people will stop using them and start using cash. the The real net result of increased card fraud is increased fees for using cards and for both the consumer uh, in, in their annual fees and also for the merchant in their um, in their merchant fees. They pay a percentage, of course, for each time someone uses a card at their stores, and those prices will go up, which means the consumer goods prices will go up. Yeah. So you mentioned that obviously it's it's happened in New Zealand. Now one of the ones that that's publicly known is the ACC 
car parking. Auckland City Council. Auckland City Council car park one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I know we've got to be very careful talking around this, but what can you tell us actually happened and and how they got caught and and what was the implications of the whole scenario? Because this is a real scenario that happened here in Auckland. And and it was pretty frustrating for all of those who couldn't use their credit cards in the uh, parking machines for about two or three years while they fixed it as well. Yeah. Yeah. My car got nicked and got stopped. Card got nicked from that machine and got uh, got stopped as well. Yeah. and same with Skips, right. So what can you actually explain to listeners that are from out of Auckland and overseas, what actually happened in here? Well, what it looks like happened, and it hasn't, all the information hasn't come out, Correct, but, yeah. but uh, some criminals from another country um, hacked the, uh, the, the machines where people pay for, remotely pay, the kiosk machines at, the, at that car park building, put their card in and, and get their ticket paid for. They hacked those so that um, they were effectively skimming the card data. They, they were skimming your PIN and they were skimming your MagStripe data. Um, Is that because they were connected to the internet in some way and they could actually route into the system? Or do you think well, it was rumor, rumor has it that, that it, there was they were on a network that was either connected to the internet or could be got to from another Yeah, network. that was the way I un- yeah. understood it too. So it was it was probably a bigger picture than just the machines that were was uh, left uh, open. Oh, I think it was, but yeah. uh, again, I don't know, I'm guessing. But mm. the, the the banks spotted an enormous number of, or how these frauds are, are, are caught most often is the banks see a lot of um, unusual activity on customers' cards and they then go through and work out where the common places that all these cards with fraudulent use have, have been. And it, and it didn't take them long to work out that it all came from that car park. The problem is the cards weren't, when they were first harvested, they weren't used for a period of time. So uh, no one actually, re- no one really knew, and whether or not they still do, I don't know, how long that hack had been going on before they started using the card data. Normally they'll try and try and use the card data within a matter of months to so that there's not so many expired cards that they've got. But um, the longer it is, it's been sitting in there, the more card data they've got. And how did you know that your card had um, been compromised through this situation? Because now when I look back, I can recall a call from uh, from the bank around at least one of my credit cards saying, oh, there's been a little bit of a issue. We think your card's got out there, so we're issuing you a new one. Mm. But they didn't tell me what it was. Mm. Um, yeah, but that, it may well have been in that, in yeah, that, that time frame. I'm in the same boat. They didn't tell me why. In fact, I was in the US at the time for work, and I was trying to rent a car, and the card wasn't working. My business card didn't work. And oh. so I, I, had to, I used a personal card. And then about an hour later, when I was in the middle of a meeting, my bank rang me on my cell phone. Okay. And, and, um, and it's a, I wouldn't have been the only person that had a card... Um, uh, stopped while they were overseas, and it's a real hassle. With you know, you've got hotels sitting on it, and rental cars, and meals, and things, uh, and all of a sudden, um, you've got to start using a different card. You can't just pop down the bank and pick up a new one. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. I've been in a in a position of getting stuck with a credit card overseas as well. I, I can't remember what the scenario was, but it can be quite a few hoops to jump through to mm. uh, to get that sorted. Mm. So uh, we've got a question from online actually. Um, that people want to know about these internet-based FPOS systems. Um. Good, bad, or ugly, and what are your thoughts on that? And this, they also put a second part in here. Should we be worried about credit cards being processed by via public internet system? Well, um, I'll address the first question first, I guess, which is, uh, and I'm assuming they're meaning FPOS machines in stores that are connected to the internet. Um, now, those those machines um, in New Zealand. Just before the Rugby World Cup, we went through a big uh, upgrade to all yep. the FPOS terminals to support. Uh, EMV, which are the chip and pin cards. So most new cards these days have a chip as well as a mag stripe. So before the Rugby World Cup, all the merchants had to swap to new machines that that can read those chips. And at the same time, um, those machines 
can uh, the replacement machines have Ethernet connections on them, so you can connect through to the payment processing end of things through a uh, broadband connection if if you want to. Right, which can be a lot quicker. Right? It's a huge amount quicker because yeah. the the chip cards and the chip machines have a they've got a lot of extra security in in the system, but that also puts a whole lot of overhead on the transaction and on slow old dial up. It it can make the the transaction take up to forty seconds to um, to process versus you put it on nasty. broadband and it goes back to two or three seconds. Yes. Wow! If you're in a bar or somewhere where there's you know there's potentially queues of people lining up to pay, that magnifies itself over an evening or a day depending on when you're doing business, and it's a huge problem for those stores. So. Um, you'll find over time most of the merchants will migrate over to using broadband. But obviously there's a security risk in doing that because if you're connected to the internet, the internet's connected to you and you need to protect the environment those machines are in. That's actually what we do is protect the uh, merchants' network environments to the to the um, payment card industry specification. Um, and and we do, our system does clever things like uh, ensure that only FBOS terminals that are supposed to be there are there, so we stop the swap outs, um, that those terminals can only connect to the bank's payment gateway rather than shoot data off other places and, and a whole lot of other um, uh, um, clever things to do with automatically updating and firewall security and separating card data from non-card data and so on and so forth. Excellent. That's great. Um, but if a merchant's um, following the payment card industry specification, then whether they're connected to broadband or using a phone line, it, it shouldn't matter to a consumer. But you've, you've got to hope that a merchant's doing the right thing with their with their connection. At the moment in New Zealand, the payment card industry spec is not tightly enforced. It's beginning to be. In countries like America and the UK, where we also operate, uh, merchants really don't have an option but to adhere to that standard. Uh, but by and large, not a difference from a consumer uh, standpoint. Um, what was the second question? I've forgotten. Uh, and uh, are you worried about um, our credit cards being processed via the public internet? No, well, that was really yeah, the same, same thing. thing. Yep, so, yep. yeah. Okay, no, that's uh, that's good. Now, were there any uh, final questions that you had there, Brad, around the the, the security picture? I, th- I think when we were talking earlier, you had some. some I got things. loads. Okay. Um, obviously, it's we're a week out from Christmas, mm-hmm. so the transactions on the system are going to go through the roof. Mm-hmm. What What would you say to I suppose your mum, your girlfriend, your partner at this point in time, what are the key things people should be watching out for when they're manually going into shops or doing anything online? What are sort of some of the, the, the key gotchas to, hey, just check the, check this thing to make sure? What would you say? Well, key thing about dealing uh, with uh, credit card data online is, one, make sure you're in what you consider to be a reputable online store before you put your card data into the system and secondly always have a glance up at the URL bar and make sure that it's a secure website with a HTTPS written at the front of it. Those are the two main things to do with online. Regardless of whether you're you're dealing with credit cards online or um, offline uh, treat your credit card like it's cash um, because it it buys things for you and it buys things for someone else who's gotten hold of it. Um, With regards to buying things in store Theoretically, you're not supposed to let the credit card leave your hand. Now, that sometimes doesn't work in restaurants um, because people walk away with it. But if someone's walked away with your credit card, they can do what they want with it. And and one of the most common places for card data to be swiped is in a restaurant. Um, and they'll have a little the um, waiter or waitress might have a little card reader on their belt or in their pocket. And as they walk up to the counter, they'll swipe your card and they've got your data. Um, so don't let it out of your hands if you can avoid it. Uh, and keep an eye on it. When a when a merchant in a store is swiping your card, 
They should only be swiping it once through the FPOS machine. Uh, sorry, it's very common when you go to a restaurant for waiters to walk, a, like they walk over to the tills, you know, that's a, yeah. so you're, oh, that's very So you're better just to go up to the counter and pay pay that way. Yeah, it's actually, a lot less it makes risk. A, it makes a lot of sense. Wow, actually. sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt. That was just something just to think about. Mm. It's like, because mm. I, I do it all the time when I go to a restaurant, I say, oh, here's, you put your credit card in the little black thing and away you go. Mm. But and you never sort of really think, oh, it's going up there, and mm. it, it, they just hold it in their little in their pouches or the waitering uniforms and stuff like that. Yeah, there was a recent big bust in New York City with a with a whole um, a whole scam at, throughout a bunch of restaurants where the the waiters and waitresses had little skimming devices on their belts, and as they walked up they'd, to the counter to process your money, they they just swipe it, and you don't you never see it. Uh, and a, a clever person can swipe it in front of you without you seeing it. So. The the chip cards are technically not supposed to leave your hand at all, and um, you'll notice on the termin- FPOS terminals, the chip uh, slot is in the front of the machine, yep. and, and it's designed so that the customer does this, the dip as opposed to handing the card over to, to a merchant to do it. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you when you were full flight, but that was just, mm. wow. Yeah, no, it's, it's just, just treat it like cash and don't let it out of your hand, and um, and a merchant shouldn't swipe it twice. They should. There's no need. They're only swiping it once for the data to go to the bank. If you see someone swiping it a couple of times into different devices sitting behind a desk, that's a little bit of a um, should be a bit of a wake up to you. Mm. And that sort of thing happens a lot in hotels. Hotels are another big um, uh, credit card data risk. Um, for uh, particularly because not only do they have the option to swipe your card multiple times, but they um, uh, they also store your cardholder data on a on a computer system so that if you use the minibar or go to restaurants and yep. things, you don't have to do it again. But you got to wonder, you know, are the systems that they're storing your cardholder data with are they um, safe? Yeah, that's always a real concern, isn't it? Mm. And and I think. That's that's probably something that's going to have to change in time, isn't it? The way a lot of those systems actually yeah. actually operate. Well, the the big move, so the payment card industry data security standard that's being pushed on people, as well as um, uh, protecting or giving merchants guidelines as to how to um, protect their broadband connected terminals, uh, it also insists that you can't have any clear cardholder data stored anywhere on your network, and so there's a lot of uh, uh, work being done around tokenization, so converting the data into a useless token rather than actually being card data, um, or storing it off-site at a at a certified uh, location, and 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 banks will quite often um, store it off-site for the for the merchant. But really, there's no need for a merchant to store cardholder data anyway. They can get a pre-auth on a card and give it, yeah, you know, not store it. Mm. Okay. Oh, that's great. We'll really appreciate your uh, your time, Simon. You're um, we, yeah, we've we've enjoyed that. So uh, yeah. We'll uh, we'll head on with uh, with the show. All right. what, if people want to sort of see you guys on the on the internet, what's your website? Facebook, Twitter, or anything like that? We can sort of keep track of you guys. Our main website is at uh, makeonetworks dot com. Yep. Um, and if you go to news dot com, there's links there to um, Twitter and our Facebook feed. And I don't even know if we have a Facebook feed. <laughs> We've definitely got a Twitter feed, and there's there's a, um, a WordPress feed and things like that. Fantastic! It's been a pleasure having you in here. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yep. Appreciate it. Well, that was good uh, chatting to Simon. Now. We have played and played with and seen some really cool technology, gadgets, consumer electronics over the year. A huge amount. This is the episode where we get to sort of summarise and and pick really our uh, our favourite things from the year and give the audience a chance to um, go out and do some Christmas shopping. Right. So anyway, talking through some of the some of the biggest and best and smallest and fastest and our, our top whatever, ten, whatever the words are. Yep. Um, let let's let's sort of go around and, and and chat about some some of those things. Now, 
Brad, you've been looking at um, some of the TVs recently. Yes. What, what would you? What's what's really your pick for the for the year in terms of the um, the the best? Out there, so yeah. So, so my pick is the um, Samsung fifty-five inch seven thousand series. It's the borderless range. That is that's phenomenal, isn't it? it? It's a stunning TV, and I mean, I think the board the board is about two to five mil. Would you guess around that range? Is it about five mil? It I looks think? a bit like a picture frame. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're probably talking. I, I would say more like. Um, more like ten mils, but it's it's small. It's, it's very it's very sleek, and it, obviously it's very thin. It's LED. You hang it up on the wall, which is stunning, and the picture quality is absolutely amazing. Now these things are retailing. They were retailing at about five grand. Now I've seen them. I saw them on special about five weeks ago for two nine. I think they're back up to about three three in the stores. You had a four quick, four I four, think, four 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 five. I think yep. I saw one for uh, today. So that's I think that's that's probably a retail price. And yeah, you know there there is a potential to get them down a, a little bit. But that is really the. You know, I would say that's the leading TV in the marketplace oh, yeah. at the moment, and we'll talk about projectors soon. But that's that's really the top of the line now. The other one that that I think it's worth looking for because that that also is a is a three D um, TV is the six thousand series, which is just is just the one step down or the previous. Yep. It was their leading series going back sort of twelve eighteen months, and the six thousand series actually still delivers a really good picture. And I saw today a, I think it was a Bond and Bond store uh, that was specialing that in this particular store, and I don't know if it's if it's in their price list, but this store was selling the 55 inch 6000 series for 1999, uh, which I think is say that again, sorry. Yeah, just done two thousand dollars effectively for a 55 inch on the 6000 series and that's, that's a that's a lovely that's a line. lovely that's a lovely TV and uh, I think that one's 3D as well so it's not bad um, so TV wise yeah I would say those are really our those are our picks at the moment now jumping across to uh, projectors now we're in that sort of video space you've been testing a lot of projectors recently haven't you yeah so i mean you and i have both sort of been been big fans of, oh, the, yeah. of the hd projectors for for some time and so i wanted to see what the what the next step up was and there were there were two 3d projectors that we had a look at so we looked at what uh, panasonic are doing with their ae 7000 uh, and also what um, epson are doing with their uh, tw uh, 5900 and tw uh, 6000 and i have to say that both the epson and the panasonic the results were were just phenomenal now these are 3d aren't they, they yep so they're first and you know first of all they they're great hd projectors so I mean, if you want to watch a film, then in my in my opinion, what you see on a projector just blows away what you see on a TV. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's to do with the size. It just feels like being in a cinema. If you get that set up right and you've got a dark room, it just looks fantastic. Uh, great for Xbox. Even plug your computer in. Whatever. It just looks great, particularly yep. if you can put that up on a wall at 120, 130 inches. It, it's phenomenal. Yeah, you do. You get that whole. Um, it is like being at the cinema. You just need a bucket of popcorn, and away you go. Yeah. So the both the Panasonic and the Epson, great products. Um, there were there's a little bit of there's a little bit of difference, and it's the sort of thing if you're going if you're going to uh, get into buying one of these for your home, then worth reading up some of the reviews and then take a pick. You know, based on what you're looking for, based on your environment and so on. Um, one of the big things that I 
that I noticed really around 3D is uh, that with a projector, you really need a pretty dark room for it to work because yes. of the way the the the, uh, the glasses work, and they're effectively shutting out you know the light from one eye at a, at a time, so you can get that 3D effect. It it effectively halves the brightness of the projector. Now you don't get this with TV, so if you want 3D that you can just watch any time and doesn't matter whether your room's dark and so on, then then go for the TV. That's that would be my recommendation. But the projector. Once you've set it up, and if you've got a room that you can dark out or it's night, looks phenomenal, the 3D. Now, what's the price difference? Because you mentioned both Epson's and the one Panasonic. Can you remember roughly what the prices are? I mean, at a guesstimate, if you can't. Yeah, so the um, the Epson ones are, are starting um, under $3,000 now. For a 3D projector? For a 3D projector. That's really dropped. I mean, I've got my Sony HD, and that's about four grand when I bought it about two and a half years ago. So they've really dropped down. I mean, that's a 3D HD projector. That's really nice. Yeah, so th- those those prices have really come down. And this remember, this is a full HD projector. So, you know, bear in mind that what you're likely to use a projector or a TV for is 90, you know, say 95 or more percent of the time at this stage is going to be 2D content. Correct. Very, very good for that. Awesome. And But having that 3D option there in the background is great. Now, just a couple of things about those two projectors. I found that the um, the Panasonic, uh, which which really is a, high, a really high-end projector in terms of some of the, the features, really nice whether you've got a lens uh, shift so um, you don't have to work too hard on your positioning of the projector because you can you can change where it, where it points the image on the wall. That makes a big difference if you're hanging it from the ceiling from personal experience. If you've got that technology built in, or, or or even just you know, I was just testing it on a um, on a shelf where I sit my projector, and my existing uh, Epson allows me to adjust that. The Panasonic did the same, uh, but the the Epson I tried didn't have as much um, flexibility in those regards. It just it didn't have that vertical shift yep. that I was used to in the other one. What it did have though, really killer feature: wireless HD. So I have something that comes with the the, uh, TW6000, comes with a device that plugs into your, say, your Blu-ray player or whatever your HDMI output is, and it pushes that full HD signal across the room to your projector. That That is worth buying. That, honestly, from if you are setting up a cinema and you are investing a little bit of money, from a person that's gone through the pain of this and had to run, when he built his house, a massive HDMI cable, that is with a, that is a killer feature. Yep, and uh, and during my testing, I broke an HDMI cable, and, uh, and that, that, broke that, the that, that Blu-ray ca- player. <laughs> caused a, a, potentially caused a bit of damage to the equipment. I'm not sure. I haven't had a chance to fully Sorry, test Epson. it. Um, that that was the Panasonic. Yes, yeah, so, oh, it was uh, this Panasonic. Uh, one. Yeah, so so yeah, so the the wireless that that's potentially good. I would say that will be coming out in in other vendors' uh, equipment in the future. But it, that's a really nice um, feature for Epson at the moment. All right, so. Off the projectors, tablets. Now, there's there's obviously a range of devices that are available out there at the moment. Um, in the New Zealand market, the iPad has very much been the winner, but we've started to see a few other devices coming into the market. Yeah. You've even got you know Warehouse and the various electronic stores that are bringing in these $200, um, you know, so in some cases under $200 type uh, devices, real budget ones. Um, but Brad, you've seen that there seems to be a bit of a sweet spot um, in that sort of two hundred US dollar um, 
point and we don't have all of these products yet but the Kindle Fire from your perspective is that the standout for you? Yeah look I mean if you if you do order it online you can get it over here it's one of the top devices out there I think for the price point the features you get the 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 idea of a lot of these tablets is to consume information so it's consume web consume songs consume movies read books the, the Kindle Fire is just mind-blowingly good um, I had expectations that were quite high it's exceeded those I have an iPad, so before everyone starts going there, I've used Android. I've even used a Windows 7 Samsung Series 700 or that was 7 um, Slate. This, this beats them all. It really does. It's just bang for buck. It's just a great little device. It, it doesn't have all the things like cameras and everything else, but you know what? I don't want that in a tablet. I just want to be able to read books, watch movies, and, and surf the web and do flash and stuff and it just works yeah it's fantastic. i mean 2012 is going to be a different story as far as tablets but yes. in terms of what what's there now yep. that's um that's really a good value device i've really enjoyed the samsung range of tablets the galaxy range yep and i mean they do a quite a few different ranges i mean they do the different sizes and i'm playing around mostly with the um the uh, five inch tablet which is more of a media device than it's a hooked to you at the moment that it little is, white I thing i love it it's apps i didn't think i'd actually be this enjoy this much of an android tablet i've been trying to get that back off no, you it's and it's, 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 just, it's just not working i think i lost it somewhere <laughs> but no i mean look for 200 bucks so honestly you, you you cannot complain and and hooking into the amazon store and amazon all those services it, it's just a night i really hope it takes off i mean the rumor is they're going to sell about six million before christmas wow so it's it, it is they're, they're, that's what they're projecting and we've only got a couple of days to go till christmas so yep. yeah definitely amazing device and and here on the nz tech podcast we're big fans of setting up a, a us vpn so you get access to some of those extra services and that that really helps light light it up doesn't it oh yeah like anything um it's great to have in new zealand but when you plug it into the u.s it becomes a whole new device okay so what else is in our what else is in our uh top 10 guys what about set top boxes so we've actually got sort of two stories around this now the roku is phenomenal i'm i'm roku in the house now paul was laughing at me before because i spent nine hours rewiring my house again to get a usa network working and i now have three rokus working in the house and but the is, Roku's only available in the US, isn't it? Yes, but you can buy them on Trade Me here. I have been keeping an eye on it because I remember you mentioning it. And I've also had a look around, and you can order them online. Um, but for pound for pound, if you put it up against the um, Apple TV device, which CNET did, and did a whole review, and they went through pretty thoroughly, and this guy is an Apple fanboy that re- um, reviewed it as well. Feature-wise, um, as in content-wise, the Roku's better because you're stuck with iTunes. Um, aesthetics wise as in the way it looks the Apple the Apple TV wins it's just a beautiful they make beautiful stuff but for bang for buck for what is it 40 no how much did you pay 59.95 for yours oh they've I mean they vary the cheapest, cheapest, the cheapest model was about 50 or 60 yeah. US and the, the top model's 100 US plus it's, your taxes and, and so on so yeah definitely under 200 just, New Zealand yeah so CNET rated and they said look the Roku just it just won it was just a, it, it's the one of the top media devices out there it's the size of oh, a cigarette packet would it be that big no it's smaller than probably that, smaller than that it's, it's just stunning it's got HDMI Wi-Fi um, and yeah it's brilliant little device if you do have it you do get content that works over here so it's not like you plug it in you have to have a usa vpn you can get yep. you know television shows and everything that work that you can but there's other stuff that you can pay for online but it's a brilliant device yep i have to say that it is it is worth having a look at what you want to do uh and how you you know how hard 
a process you want to go through to get up and running. Yeah. What I like about the Apple TV and also the Xbox is that they're available in New Zealand. They're available locally now. They're reasonably easy just to go out and get. Uh, and the you know the Apple TV does a lot of similar things to the Roku, so I've enjoyed using that. Uh, and the Xbox has been a particular interest over the last couple of weeks because we've got this new dashboard. Oh, yeah. And with the US VPN, there is so much content that's opening up on there. Some of that is similar content that's on the, the Roku, but, you know, it's just really handy having that device that also works as a media center extender and a gaming device and so on. So um, I think you've got to you've got to have a look across all all three. The problem with the problem with the Apple TV is that you have to pretty much have an Apple ecosystem to really light it up. Whereas the other devices, you, if you've got a if you're an Apple person and you buy an Xbox, it'll work for you. If you've got a Roku, it'll work for you. And the con- the content with the um, Apple TV is you're limited to iTunes, whereas I do like the ability to choose what my content I, is. I disagree because one of the main thing, or the probably the primary user reason that I use these devices is to get Netflix, yep, a US VPN, and so any of these devices will will do Netflix. Well. But if you don't have a US VPN and you're in New Zealand got to have the Apple ecosystem. And that is the downside. I mean, it's a big um, problem. Well, there's it's like a, the Roku. But there's it's a like flip everything. side to that is that you can go and buy movies and content that you can't do off the Roku because yeah. the Roku is no, designed for New Zealand. I, I, I agree, but I would rather have, I'd rather have more choice than a lot of that stuff. I don't know. I, I've, I've got all three. Really, aren't you? Sorry? You've gone all open source on us. Oh. <laughs> Gosh, right. I, every week I get criticized from one camp. I can't win. All right. I'm so, just going to be myself. <laughs> so Roku seems to be getting the, uh, getting the stamp, although very hard to get in New Zealand. So, you know, certainly you can have a look at the other ones as well. Trade me. Other other bits of tech we looked at, of course, was uh, was were the Ford vehicles uh, and some really cool awesome. tech in there. So I'm putting my stamp of approval on the Ford Mondeo Titanium. Awesome piece of technology, great car from a safety perspective. The way all the Bluetooth integration worked was just phenomenal. Having gone back to my normal car and not having <laughs> all the Bluetooth controls on the steering wheel and uh, all all the uh, safety and the sort of automatic functions in there. It's um, yeah, it's taken me a while to uh, to to come down again. I have a vision. I have this vision of Paul Spain driving along, thinking he's still back in the Ford Mondeo with the auto crash device, <laughs> going, "I won't crash." Bang! Oh bugger! I'm not in the Ford anymore. <laughs> that. Almost caught me out the day after oh, I returned the focus because I came to the end of traffic and I'm like, la la la, this is quite sweet. Oh, that's right, I'm just back in my old 2004 oh, Mondeo. Well, you think he's parallel parking and he'll just let it go and it'll try and park itself. <laughs> they have beautiful cars. I mean, I was telling people at work about this and they were just like, it is a stunning piece of technology in those Fords. It really is. It certainly is. Now, uh, top laptop, a little bit of debate around this, but um, <laughs> yes. You know, we, we've had a look at, you know, during the year we've had a look at a whole ra- whole range of devices. You know, Sony have got some cool gear, uh, Samsung with the Series 9, uh, the ThinkPad X301 that, w- that we had a look at. All of them are really good. MacBook Air? All MacBook of them, Air? Yeah, and the MacBook Air. Yeah. I mean, all very, good, all very good devices in their own right and quite different in terms of their focus. Yes. Uh, but... You know what would you guys pick as um, as your favourite for the year? I definitely love the Samsung. The showpiece of the Samsung was to be able to pick it up on its corner and fling it around the like it's a piece of paper. The titanium, titanium flexible screen. Yeah, Although I mean, if you do was, that too much, it um, yes, the, the screen as, does as break. As our friends at Microsoft found out at TechEd. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. 
But I mean, in terms of a very nice looking laptop and a very robust laptop in that light range, I, I don't know if you can find anything better, to be honest. It just looks slick and it was very, very solid. And the only downside to it was having to get additional dongles to plug your Ethernet cables in and that sort of stuff because, of course, being so thin, it didn't quite have a slot for an RJ45 socket or anything like that. But a minor thing to deal with in terms of um, being a traveller. I mean, I, I if I had the money, I'd get one. Okay. Brad? What, I, I'm tired, and this is going to cause a bit of controversy. Oh, here we go. So I've got two. I really liked the Sony Ultra Thin with the battery, which gives you 15 hours and the you know that bit one there. Yeah, that was good. That was a good laptop. And I like the MacBook Air. What? Yep. I put wow. I put Windows Seven on it, and I would buy the hardware, <laughs> and I'd put Windows Seven on it because I don't like snow. I don't. So like, have, have you bought one? I can't afford one. That's the problem. So if someone wants to give me one, but if I if I had the <laughs> no, if I had the money, I'm being honest. If I'd had the money. Apple make great hardware. I don't like the operating system because it just I, I've I've tried and I've I've got one at home with the but I love the hardware. So I'm tied between the MacBook Air and the Sony device. Wow. And I really, really am. And I put Windows seven on it and it would just work for me. I guess it depends what you use it for. My frustration with the MacBook Air is the, the lack of ports and to do anything you've got all these dongles and things hanging off it. even to plug a monitor in, uh, you've got to have a uh, you know another connection, and I mean that that's the case actually with most most of the Mac um, MacBooks, including my MacBook Pro, and so you can't have one cable from your monitor straight into into your device. Yeah, uh, but it depends on your working style, right? I mean, it, you, I think you, I like to have a big screen plug. Yeah, that's just how I operate. And I think at the moment I've been traveling so much and I'm working from home so like a lot at the moment, just late at night. I'm finding that portability and that lightness of 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 the Sony or, or the MacBook Air is just beautiful, um, but just rip out the operating system and put the one I want on there. That's mine. What about you, Paul? Yep, I I mean in terms of as a as a consumer device, I think the um, the Samsung Series Nine is the is the sweet device in terms of a general all purpose across the board machine. Um, I I bought the MacBook Pro. And and I like that. Yep. Uh, in terms of the business machine, it's it's a ThinkPad. So it sort of it really depends on what what the requirement is. Yep. True. And and so you know I'm I'm pretty uh, um, I'm pretty happy with the with the MacBook you know Pro and the ThinkPad in terms of my business machines. All right. So next on the list, we've talked about TVs, projectors, cars. Laptops, we've got to be coming to phones, right? Yeah, There's is, been some awesome you, you're phones a phone fan in, boy. The, in, the, in the last you know, 12 months or so. Oh, this has been the year of the smartphone. Seriously. I mean, there's been so much. It's The whole new battlefield has emerged on the smartphone front. Oh, yeah, it's starting to emerge. I mean, and it was it started off the year with Apple, clearly, though, right? Oh, yeah. Android's come in, knocked Apple off the pedestal. They're at 44% market share. I think they came out the other day. Like, And again, depends which statistics you read. This is US-based only at the moment, not global. But, yeah, I, I, I just, wow. And then, of course, you've got Nokia that's partnering with Windows Phone now. Yep. So that's not a small player on the market space. No, it's only 100 million phones. Making a significant change to their their um, platform. Well, this is a big this is a big uh, bet from that's been a big bet from Nokia as the the top uh, mobile phone maker in the world. 
but their market share declining reasonably rapidly, they've had to pull out all the stops. And they seem to be with their new uh, the new handsets that we've seen so far. The big issue is that we can't get them, you know, in New Zealand without jumping through the sort of hoops that we've been talking about for Kindle Fires and Roku's and so on. You've got to go through an import process or a parallel importer. Uh, but there's, there seem to be a bunch of them in the country already, and they're looking really, really cool. I know. I was actually using one again today. What? Yeah, I've got the one. I've had a go of the 800 series, with the one with the solid black and also the one with the um, different covers on it, you know? Yeah, the, there's a cyan. Yeah. Oh, or are you talking about the 710 model? No, this is the 800 with the cyan at the back of it. Yeah, and, um, okay. it, it they, wow. It, it, it's, it's just got me all flustered. Um, <laughs> the glass is beveled. Um, the it grip is, is beautiful. Stylish. It is just a really, really nice phone. Um, I think this we is We can something. get the N9, of course, right now, which which is vir- virtually the same. It is the same chassis. Right. You've even still... On, on the, um, the ones that we've got in the office at the moment, it's still got the spot for the N9 front-facing camera, even though this model, model doesn't have it. They just covered it over. So it's actually the same chassis. That's 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 how new they've they've really pushed a lot of these out so far, um, and it definitely doesn't have a front facing camera. Trust me, the people have pulled it apart. Mm. Um, but they are, they are absolutely stunning, stunning wow. handsets. So I think we need to pick a uh, a phone from the the three platforms, kind of gaining attention at the moment. Android. I saw the new uh, Samsung Galaxy Nexus uh, a couple of days, courtesy of one of our listeners, Ben Clapp. Thanks very much, Ben, for uh, for that. The Samsung Galaxy Nexus. Now, this is a cool Android handset. It's the first one with ice cream sandwich or, or yep. Android Four. What do you think? And I, yeah, I really I rate it. It's a really nice handset. Wow. Um, it's got a a nice big screen to it. It's HD the screen, so it's. Um, 720p, very, very high-res screen. Wow, that's, um, that's pretty slick. Yeah, stunning. So definitely one to watch out for. Hasn't been officially launched here in New Zealand yet, uh, but as far as um, handsets go, it's, that's, it's a goodie. It's nice to see Android 4 now out in the wild and actually on, onto a device. It didn't have all the skinning and so on that we've seen in a lot of the Android uh, devices of the past. So it was actually just, you know, it was much more usable than having all these, these overlays and so on that have been common in a lot of the previous ones. I think the um, from the hands-on experience I've had already, I think the Nokia is going to be, it's not a game changer, but it puts people on, it puts the Windows Phone platform on an equal with the iPhone 4S at the moment and the, the top-of-the-line Android devices. I think the biggest problem is at the moment is competing in that middle and lower tier, which we're seeing a lot of Android is playing really, really well. But from my limited experience, I think when that comes in, that'll be one of my favorites coming out. I've had a go of a few different Android phones, but yeah, I'm still leaning towards the Nokia at the moment, guys. I'm going to have to put my hand up and say, look, Samsung for me, and across all the brands, Samsung Android, the Galaxy range, yep. and the Samsung Focus that I use personally. The Windows Mobile, Windows Mobile. Windows Phone one, sorry. I think Nokia's got some incredibly stiff competition with Samsung. I think everyone's got stiff competition well, with Sam- Samsung. Samsung are really innovating across every space that they compete in. And, you know, in the last sort of five to ten years, they've, they've changed their focus to be a design-led organization. And you really see that starting to come through now. Yeah in a lot of the devices so okay so we've talked about windows phone we've talked about android of course apple's apple's still out there selling an absolute truckload of phones i've been using the iphone 4s for the for a past uh few weeks the 64 gig model and i have have to say this is a really lovely piece of hardware and 
and it and it work it works well. So I mean, in that space, um, you know, Apple's really just competing with itself on the on the iPhone <laughs> platform. <pretty> much. <laughs> uh, but the 4s actually, you know, it it is very it's a very credible um, device. I know a lot of people were expecting there to be an iPhone uh, five, and that was sort of the expectation out there. Yeah. Um, but in terms of a device, it's nice. It's a, it's you know, it's a solid and robust uh, device. It's got the Gorilla Glass, and one of the things that that um, that stands out is you've got that simplicity of having that built-in storage up to sixty-four gigs. So that's quite a good chunk of storage, and you don't you don't have to be you know pulling SD cards in and out and so on um, like on some of the other platforms. So no, I I think it's um, it's definitely a, a solid option, Siri. Yeah, I think the jury's still out on that one, and we're going to have to come back to uh, to that with a little bit of sort of testing because all of the platforms now have um, have options for um, for voice dictation and you know various voice control features, and none of them are perfect as as the bottom line. Um, but you know they they've all got so, uh, something to offer. All right, that's our uh, that's the wrap up on on smartphones. Now, a few other topics to jump into. Now, have we covered off uh, our big favourites of the year? Is that everything? Are there any devices that we've uh, that we've missed, guys? Oh, we could talk for hours, but no, we got wrapped up into ten, didn't we? We yeah, trying to be good. I think that I think it sums up the year oh, quite nicely. What about the new Xbox interface? Well, how would that rank? The new Xbox. Yeah, that's. De- I mean, that's definitely up there as as one of the key key things recently for sure. And I mean, it's certainly one of the one of the newest things to come no, out. I'm Here gonna, he goes. I'm going to say no, nah, not this year. Next year, perhaps. The reason why I say next year is from a news from a Kiwi perspective, from yep. us down here, it offers something slightly new, but doesn't offer us anything slightly great. Unless you're using the US VPN. If to you're on the US, the you can features. get into sci-fi and all those sort of channels that are quite cool. And I've, I've been playing with the sci-fi channel and, and other bits. It's nice, it's, eh? It's really cool. But until we can actually break through some of this international content barrier, I don't think the Xbox is going to be the wow thing from a Kiwi perspective just yet. Next year, I'm hoping it's going to be the wow thing. Yep, no, fair comment. And and the reality is that uh, the, the bulk of New Zealanders aren't going to have a US VPN don't have access to that. Those that are interested, then do check um, the the blog section on the nztechpodcast.com website because we do have the details there on how to get up and running with a US VPN. And, of course, that then allows you to start registering for things such as Netflix, US movie streaming through uh, iTunes and, and Xbox Zoom service and, and so on. So that is well worth looking at. All right, quick fire news. Let's go, Mr. Spain. Okay, so all sorts of things going on uh, or announced and, and whatnot in the last few days. Uh, Internet Explorer, Microsoft are going to be pushing out an update for those that are still stuck on Internet Explorer 6. That's got to be a good move, doesn't it? Well, they're doing it for, across all platforms, actually. It's not just Internet Explorer 6. They're copying the Chrome model, um, and you will get, for instance, if you're on XP right now, you'll go to IE8, unless you block it with... Um, you say no, but they're just going to start pushing this out because Chrome did it right. They need to start doing it. You need to be on the latest platform for security and purposes, and they just people just click no because they don't understand what's going on. So it's a good thing. Yep, yep, that's good. Now, um, there was some, some news recently saying that Chrome uh, 15 is the number one browser in terms of market share at the moment. And that's partly because they've been pushing uh, pushing through the updates. Is that all of the Chrome users, uh, or the large majority, are on one version? Whereas, for instance, IE 
doesn't have so many users on an individual version because they're split between IE7, IE8, and IE9. So that's I thought that was quite an interesting uh, stat. Um, it's manipulating the statistics, isn't it? <laughs> well, overall, overall, um, IE is is you know still has the lion's share of the market. But Chrome's but, got the best security record. But um, that yeah, well that that's one point. But I think you know the point the the um, was that in terms of an individual version that Chrome fifteen had the um, had more than any other. So, but anyway, look, that's out of date now because Chrome 16's out. Well, that's true. So <laughs> it's uh, out. So 15's so out. Those stats will be falling apart as we Wait, speak. I've just checked. Chrome 17 could We're be out. <laughs> Chrome 21. Sorry. No. <laughs> so Chrome 16's out for everyone out there. If you are a Chrome user, you will get version 16. A couple of uh, little bits and just jumping back onto uh, onto phones. A couple of little bits of phone use. Um, it came uh, out last week that there's a there's an SMS bug that's been found in Windows Phone. Yep. And if you get a particularly weird malformed uh, email, it can actually crash your phone, Text cause message. your phone to reboot, and and so on. I mean, you got to have a really unusual message, and I don't think it's been documented out in the public no. what what that would need to look like to actually crash a phone. It's a text message with special characters in a, in a particular way that does it. Yeah. So um, so that's and, a, and it is quite specific as well. It's if you have a contact pin to your f- live tile. So if I have you pinned to my live tile and you send me a malformed text message. That's where my phone falls okay. apart. Well, that's going to be pretty unusual. And it if kills someone, the message If hub. someone was trying to crash your phone, then they, they, your, your mate probably wouldn't do that to you, would Well, they? it only crashes the, mes- uh, crashes the messaging hub, yep. not the whole phone. No, but if it's pinned to the front panel, yep, it can, it take can it. crash yep. the whole phone. So you've got this small window of opportunity to jump in there and delete the live tile before it locks your phone. So there's a and little bit of trick. you have to reset your phone. I, th- I believe it's the same fault as what's also been on, I think, the iPhone as well, have had a, a similar SMS-type security feature bug. Okay, um, just so the way that I, I handles those strange characters and or whatever it is that, that I mean, a lot of this crash. is all licensed technology anyway, so mm. it's the licensed technology that's caused that um, that introduction of the bugs. So, yeah, so well, interesting. I got a letter from Vodafone in the mail last week about uh, our Vodafone account, and we use the the Vodafone Phone Assure service, which has been really handy. I must say, having uh, having smartphones within uh, you know within your care as an organisation or as an individual, there's always a chance that one of them is going to come to grief in some form, be it it gets stolen or it gets dropped or you go swimming with it, right? So these these are risks and Vodafone for for a long time have had an option to pay a monthly fee uh, to cover that with with some insurance. Now their their announcement uh, the the letter sort of was highlighting a, a primary point that they're now going to have the option of replacing your handset with a refurbed one rather than a new one. And in the case that they do that, the excess actually drops down. So I thought, oh, that's rather good. Um, and then attached was a new booklet with all the all the terms and conditions. Now, what we found from reading those terms and conditions, there are a couple of other gotchas that they've introduced. Um, and it appears as though most of the, the changes um, only affect those who sign up for the their phone insure service after... Uh, the 5th of December 2011. So if you were signed up before then, you're usually okay. But there were two big changes that I noticed. Um, one is that no longer will they be uh, covering phones that have been uh, sourced from suppliers other than Vodafone and Vodafone's uh, retail channel. So in the past, if you brought in a fancy phone um from a parallel importer or from overseas yourself directly, that would be covered by the phone insurance service. So that's that's gone. The other thing 
that they've done is for smartphones, and I don't know why you would insure any phone other than a smartphone, um, but there, there is a different um, excess price or, or amount you have to pay uh, per claim to be able to get a replacement handset for smartphones, and that's gone up. It was $125. It's gone up to $200. So if you're using this service personally or as a business, you need to be aware of this if you're planning to sign up for it. If you signed up already, it seems like that they're being reasonably relaxed and those changes aren't being forced on the older users. Yeah, it, it just it seems seems a little bit uh, rough, those those particular increases. Um, what it, my pick is, is that Vod- we talked on the show a couple of months ago or a few months ago about Vodafone not insuring the iPhone 4 and the 4S. Those phones are worth up to, what, $1,300, $1,400? Now those phones are included again. So probably that's part of the part of the reason why they've had to bump up the uh, those prices. So make those changes, but worth being aware of. All right, we're really coming to the end of this one. This, yeah. this is our big Christmas and and almost end of year episode. It, it is, and we, we've obviously come from a lot of firsts. I mean, we, we've only we're up to episode forty six. It's been our first year in production, and we, we hit a lot of milestones along the way, haven't we, Paul? We have. We, we've we've had some fun. I mean, we got a real surprise. Was it our uh, third episode? Uh, our second episode, we were surprised to hear that we were featured on iTunes, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and we thought, oh, okay, well, we're just kind of nice this little show, and someone's someone's picked us up. I, I think that's because I, I joined the show in the second episode. That's where the the feature came in. Oh, that quality went skip. up. It's all about <laughs> skip. But no, we did. We, we got well, featured. the quality did go up, didn't it? Because that Definitely. was the point where we moved into a radio studio and the production values. Having skip working on the production, working in in a in a professional studio, changed it. I guess from a sort of a um, uh, you know a bedroom style podcast to a bit more okay, of a... Hold on, hold on. Did we did bedroom? not record this in a bedroom. I want that stage. We recorded the first one I down... bedroom style. Yes, I know, but I can see where this could go on here. <laughs> so we recorded the first one in the Microsoft offices, the Xbox room, I think it was, or another room next door. No, we trashed that episode and we re-recorded, we re-recorded in, another, in yeah. another room. So there was one. there's one hidden episode somewhere in the... Uh, Archives. Um, archives that no one will ever hear. Um, that was our first sort of trial run. I'll find it, Skip. Good, good, man. We mm. need this footage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we have, we've had a lot of firsts. For a New Zealand-based independent uh, podcast, we have actually broken some milestones, haven't we? Yeah, I think it was the third episode where we found we'd, we'd hit the top of the iTunes uh, podcast chart for New Zealand. And that was a bit of a surprise because in most countries, when you look around the podcast charts, usually the number one is always a you know a comedy or something like that mo- most of the time. And so for a tech podcast to actually be at the top of the charts, I think that was that was good. Yeah, when we say charts, we were the the number one podcast in New Zealand outright yeah, across is, all the categories. So there was kind of scary the, all the comedy things and you know your BBC and TVNZ type things and so on. So um, yeah, I mean that 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 was a real I guess a bit of a surprise for us, but. But really pleasing. The other thing that we found um, when we looked back over the year was, you know, we hit that number one spot a few times, but also um, we seem to have consistently been um, sort of the the top ranked, um, dedicated New Zealand produced podcast. So, you know, a lot of times there might be one or two TV or or radio um, type shows that have been syndicated into a podcast format that would come above. But in terms of just the regular um, uh, dedicated podcast, we we were consistently um, 
ranking well there. So and well, the number one technology pretty much all the time at the moment. So so, so yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's been good. So a pat on the back to you guys. Uh, great job. Yeah, I, I, obviously we couldn't do it without the people listening to the show and downloading every week. And and also uh, we 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 want support for FY12 for the next year, don't we? Yeah, definitely. And and you know, definitely a big thanks to to all the listeners. It's you guys that have been telling your friends and, and spreading the word. And we hope that you'll you'll keep doing that. If you like the the episodes as as you hear them, that you'll you'll put something up on Facebook or, or tweet about it. We do really appreciate that. Um, and it's as that audience grow that we've been able to attract the interest of, um, you know, I guess the the Samsungs and the Microsofts and the Nokias and all the various brands that are coming to us and saying, oh, would you like to review this piece of technology? Um, you know, Ford, of course, with the various, you know, the couple of cars. Apple that with their phone. Us. Yep. You know, there are a lot of people that have um, that have been, you know, very generous with uh, with their with their equipment and so on. Um, and you know, we've also started to see some of those uh, vendors, um, and particularly uh, Microsoft, with uh, bring us to the uh, Worldwide Partner Conference. Uh, during the year uh, and also the upcoming uh, consumer electronics show so you know we've had some good um, opportunities to cover international events so um, yeah that's 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 been awesome um, and, and, and we can't forget our guests and we've had some phenomenal guests on oh the show. yes yes yeah. yeah, yeah. What can you say? I mean, we've we've been lucky. We've been spoilt with the people that have come along and the quality. I mean, it really shows what you know. New Zealand always packs a good punch, and we I think the guests we've had this year have been really, really good. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we chatted to some really interesting people in the US. You know, at the, at the partner conference, we had uh, Mary Jo Foley. Um, you know, who's a well-respected uh, uh, journalist and podcaster there in the US. We've had uh, the likes of Nathan Mercer from Microsoft, Paul Brislin, who's with uh, Two Ends. Uh, we had uh, Paul Bischoff from HP, HP, HP the yep. GM of uh, Personal Systems Group. Yep, Mitch Olson from Small World. That was a good one. That I was like a really that. yeah. He's really cool. Of course, we've had our show friend Di Henwood in a few of them as well. Yep, it's been quite entertaining. Um, and of course, those um, Paul love this. Those really talented kids from Free Range Robotics. That was a good episode. I love the robotics stuff, and those guys were cool. They were very cool. And yeah, a few of the international guests, AMD, uh, HP. So we've had you know various people, not not just local, but it's been great being able to talk to yeah some some really great uh, locals as well. And I think next year we hope to have a lot a lot more of that. Uh, we definitely want to keep the guests coming through, um, and we'll definitely put, we want to put the word out also to um, those that are that are within the tech industry in some way. Feel free to get in touch. You know, drop us an email, feedback at NZ Tech Podcast. If you know, if you'd like to be more involved, and it might be you want to fly us around the world to the biggest and best events, or it might be that you've just got some cool tech that you want us to have a play with and, and to give our opinion on. Um, hey, we're 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 open to to that stuff. We know that the audience is interested in uh, in hearing about the tech. So if it's relevant, we'll talk about it. If we don't like it, we'll say we don't like it. But you know, we'll we'll be honest about our our feelings on the uh, on the products that uh, that come past us. And if anyone wants to give us you know Ferrari Testarossas to test drive for a year, hey, you know, we're down with that. Yeah, yeah. As long as you pay for the gas as well, though, hey. Eh? <laughs> you know, we, 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 you know, it's not we, the gas; it's the insurance we need to make <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. But yeah, look, it has been an amazing year. I think we've been very lucky. We, we've gone from a very humble beginnings to now actually being having a lot of technology we get to play with, and we want to continue that in FY um, in 2012. And I think there's a lot of new technology we want to start playing with. So yeah, please get in contact with us. There is, and and we mentioned CES before the Consumer Electronics Show. That's kind of the big. 
uh, event of the of the tech industry each year, or, or one of the well, it probably is the sort of the biggest really event, isn't it? On a on an annual basis, there are there are certainly other um, there are others, uh, but we're going to be there for the NZ Tech podcast. So come uh, January, we will be reporting uh, our I think our our first sort of uh, fresh recording for 2012 will be uh, coverage of the Consumer Electronics Show. Yeah, which brings me to sort of what's going to be happening over the next few weeks. So uh, for the next two weeks, we're going to have a highlight show coming through. Um, it'll be sort of the best of. Um, we'll break it. Each episode will be the sort of the first half of the year and the second half of the year. And as Paul mentioned, in the first week of January when he's over in Las Vegas, we'll be doing bringing Paul into the studio via Skype and doing a CES special broadcast. So it'll be kind of cool. And then hopefully around January the 16th, we'll be back into our regular rhythm again. So it'll be good. Yep. I think uh, I think 2012 is going to be a great year for, for tech and gadgets and electronics. There's, there's all sorts coming through. All right, everyone. Well, look, I just want to say Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Have a good, new, happy new year. And we'll speak to you live on air in 2012. Yep. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening in. And, of course, we look forward and encourage your feedback. Feedback at nztechpodcast.com if you want to drop us a line course we're on twitter at nz tech podcast and facebook.com slash nz tech podcast if you want to give us a, a christmas gift then um hey like we'll, us. we'll uh we'll we'll accept them uh, gladly but uh you know hey just maybe put a uh, put a little note up on the uh, on the facebook page or something so yeah. uh, thanks very much guys see you have a good new year guys merry christmas cheers